O come, O come, Emmanuel. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Last week, we lit the first candle of our Advent wreath, the candle of expectation. Today, we come to the wreath again. We light the second candle, the candle of preparation. For we were learned to be straighteners and builders of a highway for God. O come, O come, Emmanuel.
The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to preach repentance and prepare the way for our salvation, give us grace to heed their warnings and forsake our sins, that we may greet with joy the coming of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The return of God's people from their exile and their restoration to glory in Jerusalem is foretold. For Christians, this imagery prefigures the ministry of John the Baptizer. A reading from the book of Baruch. Take off the garment of your sorrow and affliction, O Jerusalem and put on forever the beauty of the glory from God. Put on the robe of righteousness that comes from God. Put on your head the diadem of the glory of the everlasting, for God will show your splendor everywhere under heaven. For God will give you evermore the name righteous, peace, godly glory, Arise, O Jerusalem, stand upon the height, look toward the east, and see your children gathered from west and east to the word of the Holy One, rejoicing that God has remembered them. For they went out from you on foot, led away by their enemies, but God will bring them back to you, carried in glory as on a royal throne. For God has ordered that every high mountain and the everlasting hills be made low and the valleys filled up to make level ground so that Israel may walk safely in the glory of God. The woods and every fragrant tree have shaded Israel at God's command. For God will lead Israel with joy in the light of his glory with the mercy and righteousness that comes from him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Paul praises new Christians for their faithfulness to the gospel they have received. He prays that they may mature in wisdom and be found blameless on the day of the Lord. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you, because you hold me in your heart. For all of you share in God's grace with me, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may grow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord.
Luke. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Etureia and Trachonitis, and Licinius ruler of Abilene during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. During the blackout that followed Isabel, I found myself walking around the house with a flashlight looking for reading material. Hopefully something light, not too serious, and definitely not religious. I happened to find my old two-volume set of The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And so for a couple of very pleasant evenings, I settled down with the mystery stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the stories, but in the first one, Watson is trying to figure out the profession of his new flatmate, Holmes, based on Holmes's areas of study and expertise. And he's confounded by this because Holmes seems to have a great deal of knowledge in one area and very little knowledge in other areas. He is well up on chemistry, anatomy, and sensational news items. But he is woefully lacking in literature, philosophy, and astronomy. He is ignorant even of the composition of the solar system. This upsets Watson greatly. That any civilized human being in this 19th century should not be aware that the Earth traveled round the sun appeared to me to be such an extraordinary fact that I could hardly realize it, says Watson. You appear astonished, says Holmes. Now that I know it, 
I shall do my best to forget it. Holmes goes on to explain his understanding of how the human mind works. He says it's like an attic room, and a man can fill it with all sorts of furniture as he chooses. But if he fills it with too much useless stuff, it will push out the important stuff, and it will in time overflow and become a jumble with all the things that a man needs to know, so that when he turns to it, he will not be able to find what he needs when he needs it. Now that is a theory of human intelligence that I think most of us would not wish to subscribe to. But the more I thought about it, and the more I thought about this very small attic room, I had to admit that it is something of a jumble of all kinds of information, much of it very, very useless. I don't know about you, but it seems to me in this so-called information age, we have an awful lot of information that we're expected to keep and know and sort through. And sometimes all of that, to use Holmes's phrase, can become something of a jumble. And it's difficult to sort it out. Sometimes we can be concerned with the everyday, that we don't take any time or space to consider what transcends the everyday, what makes the everyday rich and meaningful and important and ultimately worth living. Sometimes, if you're anything like me, you can get so caught up in what seems urgent, or at least what somebody else says is urgent, something that needs our attention right now, that it's hard to find the space or the time to consider what is truly important. Sometimes we can be so caught up in our opinions about things, so filled up with what we think on that particular subject, that we pay little attention and provide little room for our conviction, the things which indeed change and motivate us. Sometimes we can be so full of our plans for our lives that we don't take time to consider God's purpose for our lives. It seems to me that sometimes we can be so involved in the immediate and the temporal that there's no room left for the essential and the eternal. We come today, we continue to observe the season of Advent. It is a time for clearing out. It is a time for making space. We hear the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Clear away all that gets in the way. Make room for what is truly important, what is really valuable, what is ultimately essential. Is there room in our lives to create a place for Christ? Even the liturgy itself at this time of year, it's a little more quiet. The music is a little more reflective. As the world around us is speeding up, becoming more and more busy, we intentionally try to slow down and create that space. The stable stands there empty as a reminder, a visible reminder of that empty space in each one of us that God alone can fill. Is there a place? Is there room? Is there space in your heart and your life where Christ might be born anew in this season? Our minds are full of all sorts of important 
and valuable things. And John the Baptist comes preaching a message of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. The word repentance, Greek is metanoia, and it means literally a change of mind. And I don't think that means simply a change of opinion. Well, I thought this, and now I think that. I think it means a change of mind, a change of how we see, understand, apprehend the world around us. Because the way that we think about the world will determine how we are in the world. If the world is hostile, if we are victims struggling to survive, that is one way of seeing the world, and it will determine how we live in the world. But the world is ultimately friendly, and we are created by God to serve God, to become instruments of God, then that changes how we are and how we live in the world. Simply how we think about things matters. There's a 20th century Russian Orthodox priest and physician, and Anthony of Sorov, and he says this, when you choose the thoughts upon which you allow your mind to dwell, you choose your life. Thought is the real causative force in life. The book of Proverbs puts it much more simply. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. We can choose the thoughts upon which we allow ourselves to dwell, and in so doing, shape and form the character of our lives. We live in a world that is full of hate, and anger, and jealousy, and resentment, and deep rage. We also live in a world of amazing beauty, generosity, goodness, mercy, compassion, and kindness. Where will we allow our thoughts to dwell? That decision will be causative. It will shape and form the very character of our lives. In writing to the Philippians, toward the end of the letter, section that we'll actually be reading next week. St. Paul says, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there be any excellence, if there be anything worthy of praise, think on these things. He chooses the word which we translate as think, consider, calculate, focus on these things. It's not as though he does not know that other things exist in the world. We all know the world is full of all sorts of other things. But you and I can choose to focus on that which is true and lovely and gracious and generous. And if we focus on those things, it changes how we are in the world. I had a rather odd thought as I went back to my friend, Mr. Holm. I thought, suppose we saw those things, the love, the generosity, the kindness, as clues to the mystery of God. Suppose they are the clues that point us in the direction of the ultimate mystery and the person of God. I mean, what makes Holmes the great detective? I mean, he sees what everyone else sees. He just notices things that everyone else misses. And he manages to put them together in such a way as to see the solution, the source behind the mystery. If we pay attention to those things in our lives which are good and righteous and kind and pure, we begin to see beyond 
but is apparent to the God who is the source, to the God who is the cause of all such things. Diane Kampf is a, a pediatrician. She teaches at Yale Medical School. And she says that science asks what and how. Philosophy asks why. But religion asks who. God's great mystery story, she says, is after all, a whodunit. Some of us, some might look at us here this morning on this cold, snowy day in Baltimore and see simply a rather ragtag, somewhat disorganized, slightly disheveled band of unlikely friends and companions who happen to go to church together. We see all that too. But with an uncluttered mind and a keen eye, we see beyond it to the amazing God who brings us here, who loves us into being, who calls us to be his people, who cares for us and empowers us to do God's work in the world. Through the eyes of faith, we can see who done it. Amen.